0: Welcome to another special topic episode of the Olefins Weekly Wrap-Up, a podcast by IHS Market. Today is Thursday, July 29th. I'm Aaron Roberts. Today we're joined by Alan Lammy, Opus Senior Markets Analyst, to talk about the natural gas market. Welcome to the podcast, Alan.
1: Well, hi there. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: <laughs> not bad. Not bad. I'm, I'm in Houston, Texas, and it is a rare day where it is not raining. Um, And so uh, I see a little sunshine outside today.
2: It's still hot though. (laughs) It is,
1: and humid.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Um, Before we get into our conversation, can you tell us about your background and what you do for IHS Market?
1: Absolutely. So I am a uh, senior markets analyst. Um, That's a big big mouthful title, uh, basically um i I kind of refer to myself as a uh, a ditch digger of of natural gas information. And what I mean by that is that uh, I look at and get into the very nitty- gritty supply demand fundamentals uh, of natural gas. Uh, I look and and have for years looked at uh, all different types of cross commodities that uh, that impact natural gas. Uh, and partic- and in particular natural gas prices, and uh, and so yeah, on a daily basis, uh, myself and a couple of my other colleagues uh, that uh, work on uh, with with Point Logic Energy, which is within the 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 whole realm of of the the hierarchy of it all, uh, are up early every day. Our days start super early, around three o'clock in the morning, and we're scrubbing information and and trying to put out. Uh, as best most uh, market reflective information as we can find every day,
2: yeah, that's one thing Alan uh, I've always marveled at about the natural gas market is you guys are always always up early. and when I was at Anadarko, all the gas traders were were there promptly at their desks at around five in the morning
1: <laughs> that 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 is exactly correct and you know uh, uh, but you you kind of have to be, you know it's it's one of those things where uh it, it's a dynamic market. Um, always has been. I think under oil, natural gas is is uh, probably you know at least the second or third largest uh, traded energy commodity in the world. So uh, yeah, when when you've got that much reliance on on a supply that is not just for home heating, but it's it's for. Uh, electricity generation and, and all different types of all across the scale of industrial usage. It's, it's an important commodity. And so uh, there, there's a lot of interest in it. Um, not only that, but, you know, the, the market in general um, uh, wants and, and needs Very good, accurate information, and so that uh, with with with, what we do uh, with IHS Market, Opus, Point Logic Energy is uh, is give them exactly what they need in order to make really good, solid, uh, confident decisions in in the marketplace.
0: We're so happy to have you on the podcast, and we're actually going to do things. A little bit differently, so I'm going to go ahead and lay out our discussion topics so we can have a bit more of a free form in the discussion. We're going to start with where the market was prior to COVID and how COVID has impacted it along with weather-related events, then move into the evolution of the U.S. natural gas market going forward. So, sure. Alan, how did COVID impact the natural gas market?
1: Well, you know, you, you kind of have to go back and, and take a look at where the market was prior to covid um, in order to really understand how COVID impacted the market. And, and you know, we're, we're talking about the dynamics of, of the natural gas market. Right now, we're seeing a hugely, uh, you know, significant surge in bullish sentiment uh, in the natural gas market right now, which is actually kind of rare for the natural gas market because, I mean, it has been the punching bag of the energy sector for at least the last 10 years and particularly during the summer. And um, you know you have a situation like, for example, when when we saw a massive um, uh, tank in demand across the United States when when COVID began to to really you know peak, we saw uh, NYMEX uh, uh, front month natural gas futures tumble down to about a dollar fifty five per mmbtu per million British thermal units um, in March of last year, and so. As of right now, we're trading at around $3.70 plus per change per MBTU. So compared to where prices were in March of last year, 2020, we're up 142% in, in prices. And, and from just a year ago, prices were trading in the $1.70s per MBTU, and we're up 121% from just year over year. And so it really goes to show you. That uh, the the amount of demand from when COVID hit, and I mean, you know, we 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 all we were all witnessing what was going on. You could drive around. Uh, I mean, it was pretty sad. I remember getting out on on Houston freeways during kind of the peak of the shutdown, and just being visibly sad to see every business that was just closed. And uh, and so when you begin to think that you know energy demand. Uh, is very reflective of the overall economy. And so and, and vice versa. And so when when you begin to see that businesses are being shut down on a wide scale basis, um, downtown Houston and other big major metropolitan areas were virtual ghost towns. Um, you know, skyscraper buildings had virtually nobody in them, and they were shutting down. Big box retailers were being shut down. Industrial manufacturers were being shut down because there was no demand for for all of that. It, it's understandable how the uh, the amount of uh, of price volatility that we saw, and of course, you, you got to remember last year too. I think it was around April of last year where. Uh, uh, oil prices went negative for, for a little while, which was, oh, I
0: remember that.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's, you know, talk, talk about a, a weird time period. And, uh, but yeah, but there's
2: also the influence though, Alan of, uh, lower production because of the negative oil prices, right? Cause the associated gas production has become a bigger part of the, of the natural well, gas, mix, right?
1: You're, you are exactly correct. Um, so you've got your associated natural gas, as you just said, natural gas production from, from oil, uh, Producing and, and we saw a situation last year where uh, rig counts across the U.S. literally fell off a cliff. Uh, the, the Baker Hughes uh, rig counts that we're kind of talking about, I think that, you know, they they fell as low uh, to a low point from where the where Baker Hughes had started collecting, uh, you know, rig count data back in as far as eight, 1987. Uh, I know that natural gas rigs uh, collapsed down to around only 70 rigs uh, during during that time period, and so you know, w- without a doubt, I mean, from from uh, the reining in of of capital expenditures from the EMPS, that when you know prices just tumbled, oil prices and natural gas tumbled, uh, you know they they really began uh, reining in the amount of of rig activity, and you know, and so. It was it was very prevalent all over the marketplace. Very worrisome all over the marketplace as well in terms of where we were going to be going supply wise in the future.
2: So there was not only a demand impact but a supply impact, right? And both both were declining.
1: And that's right, absolutely.
2: And um, so then, so then now post COVID, I guess the question is. Uh, you know, you, you've you've hinted at the fact that there is this bullish sentiment.
1: Mm-hmm. I guess the
2: question is: so, so what's what's driving all of this bullish sentiment?
1: You couple it all together. You had just a uh, a giant downturn uh, in the economy. You had a giant downturn in energy demand. Um, you had natural gas uh, producers that were filing for bankruptcy. Those assets were being picked up by deep-pocketed producers that were out there that didn't necessarily have to get out into the market and continue to to frack and continue to drill for that cash flow. Um, and so as a result of kind of all of these, and on top of that, you began to see um, a, a surge in LNG imports, uh, i I'm sorry, exports and uh, and and Mexican uh, uh, exports going to Mexico as well, south of the border from the United States. So really, within the course of a year, it's kind of easy if you if you really kind of look at look at all of this from a back back the microscope up and sort of see where it all has been kind of going. Uh, it's kind of easy to understand why we are now in a much more bullish market than we were in about a year ago. So so where are we right now? Okay, so um, there are uh, the rig count has begun to to grow a little bit, but 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 not by leaps and bounds. Uh, I think we bottomed out uh, somewhere at around 70 natural gas rigs, active natural gas rigs in, in the U.S. Uh, a year ago. Um, we're only up to around 100 rigs, uh, active rigs that are in the market. So it hasn't really jumped up completely. Um, not only that, but there was a giant inventory of uh, what are called ducks, which are uh, drilled but, but uncompleted gas wells. Um, the market has been kind of going through, uh, and the uh, th- those inventories of of uh, ducks and and they're kind of they're kind of dr- winding them down at this point. And so, as we begin to see uh, uh, LNG exports, that particularly with uh, with regard to um, the amount of storage deficits that are occurring over in uh, in Europe, um, which we have seen over the course, just because we had just this elongated winter. Um, throughout the Northern Hemisphere. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's looking actually kind of bullish in terms of LNG exports. I know that we have been kind of hovering between around 10 uh, billion cubic feet to about, around 11 billion cubic feet per day of uh, of LNG exports leaving the U.S. Earlier in the spring, we saw LNG exports uh, kind of topping out somewhere around 12 billion cubic feet. Um same kind of goes for for Mexican exports of leaving the U.S. to go to Mexico. That has been very consistent at around six to seven billion cubic feet per day, um, and so the, uh, uh, the kind of the, those sort of dynamics of uh, of added to everything that we're all t- that we're talking about here really does make for uh, for a much more bullish market, and that way you can kind of see where. You can see where this sentiment is coming from now weather wise um we are having kind of a not necessarily out west the west has just been a frying pan pretty much everywhere west of the continental divide this summer uh, has been very much above normal temperatures but straight down the center of the united states from the northern to central southern plains down here in texas lots of rain lots of cooler weather texas is the largest natural gas consuming state uh in in all of the united states and uh and from a a demand perspective it has been pretty bearish for for texas power generation still continues to uh to be really robust down here in texas even even as a result of the uh uh the most the, the latest uh, eia natural gas storage data report that came out last week um you know, the 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 southern area of the U.S., even though it's been covered by all this rain and, and cloud cover, power demand has is, is, is really been kicking it. And so uh, and that's without scalding hot temperatures. Uh, so if, if we really begin to see um, this pattern of cooler temperatures, which doesn't look like it's actually going to happen until maybe late July or, uh, or even early August, where we can begin to see really hotter temperatures uh, throughout the central and southern plains. It, things could get actually much more bullish, I think, for uh, for natural gas. Um, Which surprises
2: I, uh, me. It surprises me, Alan, that uh, the producers, at least the publicly traded producers, have stuck by this mantra of capital discipline, especially when we saw oil prices creeping above $75 a barrel. I mean, yeah. they've, they've kind of come back down since then, but... If you think about it, seventy dollars a barrel and four dollars per million BTU. I mean, that's. (laughs) I mean that that back in the old days, I say back in the old days, back in you know five years ago, that was the uh, that was the green light to drill, and you know now it it just uh, aside from the privates, right? Because I got friends in the upstream sector that tell me, hey, the privates are blowing and going, but the publics the publicly traded uh, oil producers they're they're sticking by their guns on capital discipline and this is surprising to me
1: yeah yeah and and you know the thing is is that um i think that the market has been beat up for so long that um the idea of going back out there and 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 drilling just to shoot the commodity price right back down again uh is is probably there's not a whole lot of incentive to be able to do to do that right now Um, uh, you know, the, the thing is, is that the, the market is showing some additional, um, other price setting mechanisms that I think that, that maybe the market hasn't taken a whole lot of consideration into. Um, one of the things that, that I've been looking at recently, um, is the amount of, uh, of coal supplies that are, that are in the U S. And I know this is kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent, but this is something that I'm looking at, uh, is that. You know, under the the, the current administration, um, that is is definitely pressing for a a you know m- more green, more renewable um, type of in uh, of environment. Uh, there's a lot of coal. There's a lot of pressure on coal uh, industry right now, and I know there's a lot of pressure and concerns among the uh, the coal-fired power generation uh, in. Uh, owners of that of of that generation here uh, in the u s as well, where you know they're they're worried about buying additional lo- giant allotments of coal um you know, only to be potentially penalized for that. And this isn't something that I think is is out way, way, way out on out on the distance. I think that this is actually something that is is kind of a uh, a more near-term catalyst that could have bullish, uh, impact on on natural gas prices toward the end of this summer. Um, then you you have uh, you know just as we were talking about a minute ago, weather truly is the largest. It's the number one component of energy demand. And when when you've got kind of a a little bit of a, a lackluster type of of uh, summer in terms of of outright uh, cooling. Uh, and, and, uh, and power generation from all this, this the, the heat, um, you know, if we get to, to really see a situation where you might see multiple weeks of, uh, uh, of legit hot summer that moves into kind of the central midsection of the U.S., that could get really, really bullish for, uh, for our natural gas uh, storage in, in terms of injections going into, into the wintertime. Um, and speaking of winter, so one of the things that you guys are, might not be aware of is I've got a, a very long standing um, uh, weather forecast history. Um, I'm not a meteorologist, but I am a certified uh, weather forecaster. And uh, I over my 20 plus years in the marketplace, uh, I, I worked alongside of and, and, and learned from uh, people that I, I consider cream of the crop, truly the the best weather forecasters in the world, and uh, I I learned you know straight from a, a lot of these very very talented uh, people, and so when when I'm and when we write in our commentary we write pretty pretty um, comprehensive uh, weather uh, commentary in in our daily analysis that that we write and we even kind of take a look at some of the longer range forecasts as well, and uh, and it does look like there's a a, a potential. You know, obviously, this is not set in stone, but it does look like there is a potential pattern where uh, the United States could see a colder than normal winter, not just across uh, the lower 48, uh, but also across the northern hemisphere. Again, this winter, um, that uh, when, when you kind of add up everything that we're talking about, uh, you know, things can get pretty spicy in the, in the natural gas market, particularly going into uh, early uh, 2022
2: yeah and the, one of the reasons we had you on Alan is because the gas market is so important for the olefins business and the petrochemical business uh, mm-hmm. uh overall and and one of the main reasons uh why it's important is because of the gas floor that it provides for ethane and yes. and I think that's where our our listeners would be keenly intent uh are keenly listening for hey where is the gas market going so where where do you, where is the gas market going not only this winter but you know past this winter because i guess a lot of it depends on storage and and such such uh, such as those things are but um where where do you see the gas market going after this winter i mean are we are we headed to 5 dollars a million btu or even higher i mean you know give us your best best shot at it yeah
1: so um i i think I have been around um, in the market long enough uh, to to witness some some pretty substantial spikes in prices. and um, it's it's always hard to gauge exactly, you know how high prices can go. Um, uh, I can tell you this that from a historical perspective, that uh, when prices do hit uh, certain record highs, um, which might only happen once in every once in a bloom man. But when they do that, the market likes to use that as a benchmark as where prices could return to uh, if there is a particularly large supply crunch, um, if it looks like we're, you know I'm, I've seen winters in the United States where uh, a couple of times where you you start off the the, the winter with what would be adequate storage and uh, of natural gas storage and uh you know by february there's real legitimate concern as to will there be enough physical real natural gas in storage to see us through the rest of the winter and and true not just hyped up concerns but real concerns Where are we going to make it and um uh Large percentage of that obviously is going to be based upon what, what, what mother nature uh, unfolds to us in the months ahead. Um, I can tell you this. I, I grew up out in Midland, Texas, kind of the heart of the Permian basin. And uh, I grew up around uh, a bunch of very wily independent oil and, and natural gas producers. And, and I've definitely seen my share of, of, of oil booms and, and oil busts. My, my dad uh, was a, uh, an Exxon lawyer for his entire career has been retired for many, many years, but, uh, but I've, I've seen straight up uh, all the different types of dynamics of, of what the oil and natural gas market can do, you know, over the course, since, since I was a, since I was a teenager, I've, I've seen this sort of firsthand. And, um, and so if this winter kind of proves to be a doozy here in the United States um, in all the, in all the places that it counts, you um, as well as across the northern hemisphere and and so what why do we think this why, why do you, why are there indicators that that this might be a colder than normal winter uh, in the US and, and around uh, around the, the northern hemisphere of the globe? Well th- there are a couple of indicators um, that we've been looking at. One is that there are cooler ocean temperatures in both the Atlantic and the Pacific which have a historical tendency of creating, uh, colder than normal winters across the northern hemisphere. Um, we also kind of talk in 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 sort of kind of natural gas market speak of uh, when it comes to weather as is, is, is it's it's known as analogs, which is where you you look at at all the different sort of climatological and and atmospheric events that are occurring uh, right now and uh, and you know how does this compare uh, to to prior years going back for many many decades. And, and how did that result in, uh, in winters ahead? Um, interestingly enough, uh, the month of May uh, is, is, a, is an interesting little precursor as to how December could, could unfold. And, and typically if you have a cooler month of May, um, that not sometimes, but not always, uh, does result in in a uh, uh, kind of more bullish start to to the month of December, um, kind of that that interesting little correlation, and and so uh, with with everything that we've been talking about, with all of these different sort of price setting mechanisms that we've been talking about um, uh, going into the winter time, considering LNG uh, in uh, in in Europe is already in a, in a deficit. We're in a small deficit here. Ah uh, depends on how uh, the rest of the summer plays out. Depends on if there are any sort of kind of uh, coal-related uh, supply crunches that that happen later this year. Um, you've got a lot. There's a lot of there's a, a a lot of cogs in this machine, you know. And so it's it's not easy to just say it's one or two different little catalysts. There's all kinds of things that uh, that could potentially you know come into play. But uh, I would not be surprised if you really want to put make me go out on a limb, uh, I would not be surprised if uh, if, the, if by the time we get into uh, the winter time uh, deep into the winter time, the the sort of January February time period, I think that natural gas prices could potentially go up and uh, and well exceed uh, the $4 dollar area uh, you know, potentially, Going up and and testing some highs that we haven't seen in in, in quite a long time. And I, I don't really want to pinpoint an exact price, but uh, but it does look like we are setting up to see what could be a very bullish market, uh, particularly going into uh, early 2022. Um, but just like I was alluding to a minute ago, I've been around so many times to to see the uh, uh, the kind of booms and busts. Typically, what happens is, is when you if you do see a commodity price, natural gas commodity price, that that really runs up to some multi-year highs, uh, everybody and their dog is going to come out and and get out there and start uh, fracking like crazy in order to be able to to hedge those prices and get that production back in in the market, and so you have very bullish market that uh, you know all of a sudden kind of turns into more bearish market because everybody wants a piece of that pie. And uh, and so there there you kind of have it in terms of uh, the thoughts as as to where we we could go later this winter.
2: Yeah, you no, know, Alan. And I, what I would do is I would share your sentiment on uh, you know as an old NGL guy. Uh, I mean, we're seeing some of the same dynamics on the propane market. Yeah. Um. It, I think this winter and as we exit this winter, I would agree with you. This is going to test uh, the, um, the resolve and the, t- the, uh, the disciplined of, of the, uh, upstream players, because, you know, we, if we come out at, you know, $5 per million BTU and if, and if what we think is going to happen on the propane market does happen, I mean, there's just going to be a lot of incentive, um, uh, you know, for producers to just go out and drill baby drill, right? Yeah. It's just, <laughs>
1: exactly. That's yeah,
2: exactly. But, but we'll see. Right. I mean, and, right again i've i've been surprised that once once oil prices hit $75 a barrel i, I was surprised that nobody hit the accelerator and yeah. you know i'm talking to my friends that are still in these companies and and thus far no plans to increase capex but we'll yeah. see when we'll see when the producers actually release their spring springtime capex numbers for full year 2022 to see if if no they really stick, by, stick by that so yeah no doubt Alan, thank you. We really, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. I think this will be yeah, very helpful for our uh, listeners and those uh, those listeners that are in the petrochemical markets to to get a good understanding of what's going on in gas. So really yeah.
1: appreciate it. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. So anytime you need me back, please just uh, don't hesitate to, to call on me.
0: Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts and give us a like or leave a review if you enjoy it. Check out ihsmarket.com chemical for more information on subscribing to our services. And if you have questions or want us to cover something more specific, you can send an email to me at aaron.roberts at ihsmarket.com. Until next time.